And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I am Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Peter Hammond. He's a missionary, founder of Frontline Fellowship. Peter, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you so much, Dan. You know, a couple of months ago, you sent out an email talking about something that we don't hear much about, and that is the Turkish genocide of Armenian, Assyrian, and Greek Christians. So I'm wondering if we can spend a little time talking about this today. I'm almost shocked that we hardly ever hear about this, and yet we're talking about a massive number of people that were just killed outright. Peter, maybe you can tell us a little bit about this uh, genocide. Yes, I've been a missionary to persecute Christians for over 36 years, and I've traveled as far north as Poland and down to Albania, all over Eastern Europe and throughout North Africa and and the Middle East. Um, I've met Armenian Christians who informed me about this, and I thought I was well-informed and well-read and well-networked, and it was news to me. And it's just extraordinary how this genocide of effectively 3.5 million Christians, Assyrian, Greek, Orthodox, and Armenian Christians, were killed between 1915 and 1922. And it's not in most of the history books. We don't seem to know about it. It's not in the evening news. They don't seem to mark its anniversary. And there's a lot of these Christians around who are survivors who speak to us about it, and you're wondering, why aren't they getting a better hearing? And I haven't seen a major film produced by Hollywood or anything else on dramatizing uh, this, but it's a real part of our history. So I, I saw the need to do research and to get to the grips of it, and I've spoken to people whose grandparents were survivors, the only survivors of their whole extended family in some cases, and uh, what happened back in 1915 and all the way through to the destruction of Smyrna in 1922. Now, Smyrna is one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation that are addressed. Uh, Smyrna was the the church very much praised by the Lord. There's no rebuke for the church at Smyrna. And that was a place where, um, amongst others, Polycarp and the Apostle John ministered. So the last Christian city in Asia, Smyrna, a city of over 300,000 Christians, was destroyed in 1922 with the Allied warships anchored in the bay watching it doing nothing while Christianity was extinguished in Asia. And that was after the Allies had defeated the Ottoman Turks, and could have prevented this. Their, their armies were there, their navies were there, and they stood back while the Muslims slaughtered the Christians in the city of Smyrna and set the place ablaze. So all of these things came out, and the jihad actually started on the 24th of April, 1915, with the arrest of 250 Christian leaders in Constantinople and another 800 Christian leaders throughout the empire, all on the 24th of April, 1915. So that was the beginning. They first took out the leadership, systematically. And then the Christians, the Armenian Christians, and by the way, Armenia is on the mountains of Ararat. So Noah's Ark settled in what today would be called Armenia uh, on the mountains of Ararat. And uh, of course, Armenia was partly controlled by the Russian Empire and partly controlled by the Ottoman Turkish Empire at that time. And so uh, the Armenians had lost their independence and they were persecuted minority in, in the Ottoman Turkish Empire in particular. And so the way this worked out is, first of all, the Ottoman Turkish Empire, and this was very deliberate, it was systematic, it was planned, they conscripted the Christian men into the Turkish army. They didn't give them weapons, but they conscripted the men into the army or into work parties to get them away from their families so that they could not protect them. Then they ordered the women and children to pack bags and to move. They had to be deported to some other area. 
And the reason was they found it easier to move them that they would not be able to get support from neighbors or be close to the environment that they knew where they might have access to perhaps weapons or something. So they did this step-by-step. It was very cold-blooded. First, take out the leadership. Secondly, conscript them in. Thirdly, get the women and children to move to another area and win the winners, other areas where they're amongst people who didn't know them. There they were slaughtered. And they first targeted the Armenian Christians. That was in 1915. Then they followed up with the Assyrian Christians. 750,000 Assyrian Christians were slaughtered. And then 950,000 Greek Orthodox Christians. That's that's a total of three and a half million Christians wiped out by the Turkish Empire over just seven years, most of it during the First World War from 1915 on. But the last final bloodiest of it was the destruction of Smyrna in 1922. Well, you, you covered a lot of data already. Uh, one of the questions that I had written down is, uh, what are the steps to genocide? And so far, you pointed out that they basically took out the leadership they conscripted the men from Christian families into an army. They moved the women and children. This is, uh, this is shocking. And yet, you've also commented on, we don't see movies about this. I, I see all kinds of movies about World War II and the horrible Holocaust. No question about it. But why don't we see movies about this? Well, I think there's a clear answer, and that is Hollywood is controlled generally by people who hate Christians. Uh, we don't hear them having films that blaspheme the name of Allah or Krishna or Muhammad or a Buddha or Marx or Lenin. In fact, the name of Jesus Christ seems to be the only name blasphemed in uh, Hollywood. So Hollywood obviously hates Christ, at least the majority of the producers, scriptwriters and, and directors seem to. Uh, there are some good exceptions and praise God for them. But uh, the general picture from Hollywood seems to be anti-Christian and anti-Christ. So maybe they don't care or maybe they approve of the genocide of Christians because why would Hollywood have never made any major film on what happened to the Armenian, Assyrian, Greek Christians in the Turkish Empire? Or for that matter, so many other Christians have been targeted in the 20th century. Have you ever seen a film on the Gulag Archipelago, uh, which Alexander Solzhenitsyn and others uh, documented about the atrocities of where millions, tens of millions of Russian Christians were brutalized, starved to death, or mass murdered, there were 49,000 churches confiscated and destroyed by the communists in the Soviet Union. The Russian Empire had 50,000 churches, but by 1941, there wasn't 200 congregations in the entire Soviet Union left. They had destroyed over 49,000. So I do think that there's an anti-Christian bias in Hollywood, uh, but it's more than that. It's also in our news media and our school textbooks, because it does seem to be a very anti-Christian bias to at least sideline or marginalize Christian contribution to civilization history, but also to ignore Christians being martyred and targeted. You just think how right now Christians are being targeted in Syria and Iraq and all throughout the Middle East, Christians are suffering a lot. And occasionally something comes through the news media, such as when they beheaded 21 Egyptian Christians in Libya, when ISIS did that very dramatized scripted, choreographed assassination of these 21 brave Egyptian Christian martyrs, none of whom were willing to denounce their faith to save their lives. And uh, yet, somehow or another, the media doesn't really give much attention to what Christians are going through throughout the Middle East. It's, it's, it's pretty bad. And our friends in the Middle East, and I've, I've got a number of friends out there 
in Jordan, in Syria, in Egypt, and so on, who tell us that they feel completely isolated and that they are forgotten. And to a large extent, that's actually true. Oh, my. Yes. You know, as I listen to this true account, um, a question keeps coming to my mind, and that is, why didn't these Christians fight? And now that may seem kind of strange coming from a fellow Christian, but I do believe that we have an obligation to preserve our own lives and the lives of others, to defend ourselves against an attacker. And I'm wondering, uh, why didn't these Christians fight? Well, that's the systematicness of it. It wasn't that the Christians believed they couldn't fight, and there are a few isolated cases where Christians realized what was happening and did fight with the limited resources at their disposal, which was actually pretty little. Um, But the reason is that they had been systematically, cold-bloodedly disarmed. The first step is, and I think this is something that people have pointed out, Every single genocide of the 20th century has been preceded by gun control and disarmament. And so one of the first things you see, whether you're talking about the Soviet Union, Red China, Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, whether we're talking about the Rwandan genocide, which I documented as well, they first disarmed the people. And this was systematically done. They had gun control, gun registration, gun confiscation, limiting licenses until just beforehand, they were going around, they were collecting, the, of course, they'd already been licensed, so they knew where each weapon was. For many cases, it was, you know, muskets or some very old, uh, limited kind of uh, weapon. And the states went and disarmed the people. So there was very little weapons in hands, and people in some cases were fighting with um, some ancient old, uh, they might have had some uh, spear or some musket and something like that. And here they're fighting a modern army with machine guns. Uh, so it was also the way they did it by taking out the leaders, by taking the men into the army, making sure they never got armed, uh, just taking them away from their families so that they were not there to protect them, and getting the people to move, thinking that, well, you're just being relocated. Uh, meanwhile, they're being isolated and taken away from everything that they could use. So there's tools, implements, um, farming implements, things like that that might have been at home that could have been used as weapons. They were systematically disarmed and isolated. And this came along with also, of course, um, objectifying the people. They call them in terms that to basically dehumanize them. So there's the propaganda aspect where the Christians had systematically over the years been isolated, uh, they had been demonized, uh, they had been blamed for anything that went wrong in the whole empire. And uh, the Christians had a, a strong heritage of standing firm. They would not deny their faith. But because they were a Christian minority in a in a huge Muslim empire outnumbered, they tended to become uh, very passive in general and uh, just because they had no power. They were, they were uh, so isolated and outnumbered that this, the attitude often was, we've got, to, uh, we've got to suffer and we've got to be a, a good witness for Christ and we must learn how to die as, as brave martyrs and maybe we'll win some of our enemies to Christ by our steadfastness to the Lord. So there was a very much a theology of suffering rather than a theology of resistance. And so we, we see very little resistance amongst these people because they had been prepared, so to speak, and they'd been isolated and they'd been disarmed. So that's why in many cases you get these heart-rending testimonies of, you know, for example, and you've probably seen some of the pictures on our uh, websites and from presentations I've given at the Reformation Society of 
rows of Christian women crucified. Oh. And, you know, just the, the brutality and the sadisticness of this from people who obviously hated these Christians and had whipped themselves up to a frenzy that they could actually systematically murder, disarm people and, and going beyond killing people that they had to torture them to death in such a blasphemous anti-Christian way as even crucifixion. Yes, yes. Uh, this is just striking. And today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond, and he is recounting the true history of the Turkish genocide of Armenian, Assyrian, and Greek Christians. It happened over a very short span of time, 1915 to 1922. He's recounting um, the different people that have been murdered. Um, there's one word used here of a people, Armenian, um, it's obvious to many of us, and yet to some it may be confusing. How is that different from the word Arminian? Right, yes. Now, Arminian is a theological position, whereas Armenians are people. So, Armenia comes from the Caucasus Mountains. Uh, that's between the Black Sea and the um, uh, Caspian Sea. So, that basically, uh, this, this is where the, the term Caucasian comes from, the Caucasian Mountains. It's where the mountains of Ararat are. And uh, that's where Noah's Ark landed. So, so the Armenians are, they're Coptic Christians. They're, they're not Armenians. Armenian is, is a theological position that grew out of, uh, well, particularly the British Isles and, and North Africa. Um, and now we're talking about the fourth century onwards. And so, and uh, it particularly got very popular in the 16th century with the, and 17th century with the, um, uh, the argument, the five points of Arminius. So I think some people may be confused thinking that you're talking about a kind of Christian who are uh, Arminian. But no, they, they're from the country of Armenia. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much for that explanation. Um, I, I'm concerned uh, because um, of the almost intentional cover-up of this major genocide. Uh, what is meant by genocide, by the way? Genocide is the intentional destruction of in part or in whole of a people, of a group. So uh, when you are, are targeting a whole, uh, you know, whether it's a generation or it's, it's a group of people. So genocide, the whole intention is to wipe out the people. And it's generally, and the term genocide actually grew out of the experience. It was coined by an Armenian to describe what had happened to the Armenian. So the etymology of the word genocide dates back to 1915, Turkey, the Ottoman Turkish Empire, and it was the Armenian Christians trying to find a word to describe this is the systematic attempted extermination of an entire people group, not only attempting to kill the people, but to kill their descendants and to kill their history and to kill the very memory of them. And they, they didn't just kill the people. They destroyed churches. They burned Bibles. They burned pictures. They destroyed people's family records. They destroyed museums. They took out the museums. Now, the history books of Turkey uh, all the contributions, which was huge, that the Armenians had made. Uh, the, Armenia had been a major empire. And in fact, if you go back into church history, you can see times when the Armenian empire was huge, much bigger than what Turkey is today. And these were a great people. And uh, some of you might have heard of, for example, uh, Dr. R.J. Rushduni, one of America's foremost theologians of the last century. He's written a lot of books like Institutes of Biblical Law. Well, his grandparents came from Armenia in 1915, escaped to America, and they were the only ones of their entire family who survived. And he comes from a family that has had for 14 centuries a male member in the ministry uh, every generation. 
And uh, so th there's an American, an adopted American, who, who well, he was born in America, but his grandparents came from Armenia. That's just one of them. You will find all over the United States people who are descended from the Armenians, many of whom have fled there due to the slaughter in their homeland back in 1915. Yeah, well, it's, it's a major news story, and it's an old one, but it's just not getting attention. So I, I really thank you for bringing it to our attention. Today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond, the discussion is regarding three and a half million Christians that were intentionally slaughtered, Armenian, Assyrian, Greek Christians, in this Turkish genocide. Now, Peter, um, it's interesting to me also that we are not to get discouraged when we are cast down, when our brothers and sisters are executed. It shouldn't discourage us to go into a corner and sulk. Rather, it should encourage us to go forward with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you tell us a little bit about the attitude that the Lord would have his people have in the face of, of such tragedies? Yes, indeed. So much of the Bible is written to encourage us uh, in persecution. Our Lord says, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good courage. I have overcome the world. That, that's in John 16. Uh, we are told by the Apostle Paul that um, if we want to live a godly life in union with Christ Jesus, we will be persecuted. It doesn't say we might or probably. It says everyone who wants to live a godly life in union with Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's in Acts 14 verse 22. And we read that the Apostle Paul encouraged the believers with this. And <laughs> I don't think that sort of message would encourage a lot of Christians today. I could hear a lot of people today saying, get thee behind me, Satan. I don't receive that. Uh, but the point is, in the book of Acts, we read that the Apostle Paul encouraged the people. And uh, we, we see uh, throughout the scriptures this warning that you will suffer persecution. Jesus said, if they hate me, they will hate you too. The servant is not greater than the master. And so as Christians, we need to have an attitude of being willing to suffer. And when I first started going to Eastern Europe and ministering behind the uncurtain, I remember Pastor Joseph Tson in Romania saying, in the West, you have a theology of prosperity. In the East, we have a theology of suffering. We are God's army of lambs. Now, that was so profound because, yes, in the West, we do have a prosperity of health and wealth and yes. name it, name it, and frame it, and prosperity. But in the Eastern churches, and I'm talking about also in the Middle East, um, I've seen a lot of Christians in the Muslim world and the communist world who have a theology of suffering. And they will say, it is a privilege to suffer for Christ. The suffering is temporary. The glory is eternal. Christ Jesus suffered for us and left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. And so you can see an extraordinary attitude amongst many Christians in Egypt and Syria and Albania and, and North Korea today, where the, the people say, it's an honor to suffer for Christ. He suffered for me, and so it's a privilege for me to suffer for him. He's given the example. I follow in his footsteps. And so, yes, I, I think there's a totally different attitude that you can see amongst the persecuted church. The persecuted church isn't normally complaining. Now, I've spent 36 years seeking to serve persecuted churches, and right now we have a mission team in Sudan delivering the largest shipment of Bibles into a Muslim country. Hmm. I delivered nearly 10,000 Bibles there about 20 years ago. That was the biggest at that time. Our team's just delivered 40,000 Bibles into a Muslim country in North Africa, and they've succeeded in distributing two-thirds of it already. I praise God for that. We have served persecuted churches, and I've been with people while we've been bombed and strafed and rocketed and been in, in prison and chained for some of them. 
And when we try to encourage them, they say, but God is with us. And it's so true and so profound. I've seen happier Christians under persecution in the Middle East than I've seen in all the freedoms and prosperity of Europe and America. Amen. And it's an extraordinary thing that we have so much, but in many cases, we've lost what's most important, a real vibrant relationship with the Lord. And then you see our brethren who've got nothing, it would seem, in a human sense. And yet, they're some of the most joyful Christians and victorious Christians imaginable because they really have Christ in their hearts and lives and they're experiencing victory in him. And so it's a remarkable thing. I I go to the persecuted church to help teach them, but in many cases, they teach me. Oh, it's it's a blessed testimony. Um, if you were to have the ear, um, and you do in in some sense, but if you had a the ear of of every American Christian, and you were to advise him or her, um, first of all, how can we avoid a future genocide? We may think that we're completely insulated from it. That's uh, probably naive. But also spiritually and going forth in the name of the Lord. Any advice for American Christians? Yes, yes, indeed. You know, uh, one of our very good family friends, my, my wife's uh, family was serving the Persecute Church for many years, and she would have around the dinner table people like Brother Andrew and Richard Vaughn and <laughs> Sabrina Vaughn And so um, as she grew up amongst the Persecute Church because of her father doing Bible smuggling and ministry throughout Eastern Europe since she was four. And uh, uh, she says how, how Richard Vaughn wife, Sabrina Vaughn said, Before I went to labor camp, I was very poor. But the way I went, I became very rich. Hmm. Because I was poor in the things of this world, but I was rich in the things of God. She had, Sabrina Brunbrandt, had memorized much of the scriptures. And so in prison, she was able to make many people rich with the riches of the scriptures because she'd memorized so much. And uh, there she was able to to be able to sharing the treasures that everyone most appreciated. Now, I I heard this and I, I... I've read Tortured for Christ and so on, and it, it made an impact. But uh, an ounce of experience is still worth more than a ton of theory. And when I was first arrested and imprisoned back in 1986, I was only 26 years old in, uh, in a communist country, and I was locked up. And there I, I was um, in chains, um, stripped and in cells covered in human filth and beaten uh, black and blue. And uh, it, it, it was quite uh, horrific. But... In that situation of deep, dark despair, I remembered these words. And then I remembered, well, how much of the scriptures can I remember? And I started to sing hymns. And I sang for hours every (laughs) hymn and chorus I could think of. And you could hear some people around the prison either cheering or joining in. And it was a great sense of of victory. What a, you know, singing in those cells. And then the next day when they came and hooded and chained us and took us off uh, to take us to prison, a large travel from the town of Livingston through to Lusaka, about 500 and something miles. But uh, during that time singing, I, we hadn't drunk for a, for a full 24 hours and rasping away. But the scriptures became so precious. I was put in a prison of over 1,200 prisoners, and everything was taken from us. Didn't even have shoes, let alone a Bible. But I was able to preach to the people every day in an open courtyard and share with them. what I, And we had Bible studies at night. But without the scripture, it was just what I'd memorized. So the first thing I'd say, which I've learned from Christians who've suffered persecution, whether we're talking about Sudan or Romania or Albania, memorizing the scriptures, having the scriptures in your heart and soul, the more we can know the word of God, the better. If we, we need to be in the word of God like 
like a blacksmith puts his iron in the fire until a fire is in the iron. And we need to be so immersed in the word of God that the God of the word is in us. And I do. it's not just important to know the shepherd's psalm. It's important to know the shepherd personally. Mm. So we talk about memorizing the scriptures, but in the sense of what the Lord said in John 15 verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will ask what you wish and it will be done for you. So the, the secret of prayer is, is uh, abiding in Christ, as Andrew Murray spoke about in, in his uh, books, Abide in Christ, but also the word of God abiding in us. I think it's important we be decentralized, that we are not dependent on our leaders or our buildings, but that we, we could be a Christian anywhere, whether in the forest or in prison, uh, that we know the scriptures, even if our books are taken from us, that we know how to pray, even if our church leaders are taken from us. And so what I've seen throughout Eastern Europe and, and North Africa is that the people who know the Bible and the people who are decentralized and the people who have a personal vibrant relationship with the Lord, they manage even when their church buildings are closed, even when their church leaders are taken away, they will still manage even if their books are taken away. And I've experienced it myself even when I had nothing, not even the clothes on my back or my shoes anymore, I stripped and in a salty confinement cell uh, for days and uh, waterboarded with filth and all that. In those conditions, the joy of the Lord was my strength. And I could say some of the most meaningful times of, of fellowship and worship and experience in the presence of God, more glorious than the greatest conferences and camps I've ever been to, were under fire and in prison. And uh, while I wouldn't have wanted it beforehand, now having come out of it, I wouldn't have wanted my life to be without those experiences because they enriched my life and what really matters. And I've learned far more from the persecuted church than I think I've ever taught them. This is a beautiful testimony, and we could keep going for hours, and I see we're out of time. Today we've been talking with Dr. Peter Hammond. And Peter, if someone wants to look you up online, what is the website address? Yes, so I've, I've written about this, the Turkish genocide of Armenian, Assyrian, Greek Christian. I've got a PowerPoint on it, which we videoed. Uh, so... That you can see on our frontline mission sa.org. So it's frontline mission sa, sa for South Africa.org. That's the website, and you'll see we've got a video gallery and audio gallery uh, where uh, I've given the whole thing on, on the whole incredible story of the, the Turkish genocide of, of Assyrian, Greek, and Armenian Christians. So frontline mission sa.org is the website. If you look us up on Facebook, it's Frontline Fellowship, and you can email me mission at frontline.org.za. Okay, got it. Uh, today we've been talking with Dr. Peter Hammond. And Peter, it's been an honor. Thank you very much for joining us. It's a great pleasure, mate. God bless you and all at Redeemer Broadcasting. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 